going on, true crime fans? I'm your host, Heath. And I'm your host, Daphne. And you're listening to Going West. Hello, everybody. Hope you're having a great day. Heath and I just got back from Big Bear. We had a really fun weekend with our friends in a cabin. And I am so sore. Oh, my God. So much skiing. So So much much skiing, skiing. yeah. (laughs) But I hope you guys are doing well. And I just want to give a special thank you to Alan for recommending today's case. We are still getting through suggestions all the time. But if you do want to recommend a case, the best way to do that is on email, not social media, because we don't see those. So um, please email us, goingwestpodcast at gmail.com, and let us know if you want us to cover a particular case. We have hundreds and hundreds of recommendations, so if it takes us a while, to get to you. That is why. But thank you anyway. All right, guys, this is episode 263 of Going West. So let's get into it. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. In December of 1991, a 23-year-old woman went missing after a bike ride from her boyfriend's house in Hawaii. When police discovered her bike, it appeared that someone had purposefully driven into her and her body was soon found. But with DNA from an unknown male at the scene, many are questioning whether the wrong men were put behind bars. This is the story of Dana Ireland. Dana Marie Ireland was born on December 12, 1968 in Fort Belvoir in Fairfax County, Virginia, and her father John served in the Navy in World War II and in the Army in the Korean War, and he lived all over the world. But John did eventually meet and marry Dana's mother, whose name is Mary Louise Crank, and the couple settled in Virginia, where he was employed by the Army as a computer systems analyst. In 1955, John and Mary had Dana's older sister, Sandra, or Sandy, joined much later by Dana in 1968. So Sandy was like 13 years older than her sister, Dana. And because of the large age gap, when Dana was just five years old, her sister, Sandy, 18, moved away from home. And that's when she settled in Hilo on the big island of Hawaii, while Dana stayed with her parents in Virginia. Now, a family friend remembers her kind nature and that she was, quote, very angelic with a spirit that was very clean. She didn't smoke or drink. She was very innocent and not interested in men yet. She was just a giving and sharing, a very gentle and loving person. She was so full of joy. 
Not that if you smoke or drink or talk to boys, you are not, but this is what they said. So Dana was athletic and adventurous, and she loved the outdoors. Pursuing her love of staying active and fit upon graduating high school, Dana decided to pursue a degree in sports physiology or the particular branch of biology that outlines how cells, tissues, and organisms function. She stayed close to home, attending George Mason University in Fairfax County, Virginia. But after graduating with her bachelor's degree in sports physiology in June of 1991, Dana decided to relocate to Hawaii to be closer to her sister, Sandy. Having spent most of their lives living in separate states, 22-year-old Dana was thrilled to be able to just deepen her connection with her sister. And Dana was, of course, also thrilled to enjoy Hawaii's natural beauty, and she wanted to learn to scuba dive. She spent her days getting scuba certification, taking long bike rides around the island, and searching for a job in physical therapy. 36-year-old Sandy and her boyfriend, Jim Ingham, whom she eventually married, lived near Kapoho on the easternmost tip of Hawaii, or the Big Island of Hawaii, with a population of only about 120,000 people on the entire island. The area is now uninhabited due to the 2018 eruption of the Kilauea volcano that wiped it completely out. So for the Christmas season in 1991, the Ireland family decided to convene in Hawaii for a holiday in paradise, what they were calling their best Christmas ever. And it was a really exciting time for Dana as well. You know, she was newly settled into Hawaii and she had just celebrated her 23rd birthday and had also started dating a new boyfriend named Mark Evans. The Ireland family rented a house in the Vacation Land Rental Home Subdivision on Kapoho Kai Drive. On December 24th, 1991, which was Christmas Eve, the family planned a lavish dinner at their rental home. Now, Dana wanted to invite her boyfriend Mark to the Christmas festivities the next day, so she planned to drop by his house before dinner. Her sister offered her a ride, but in true Dana fashion, she just wanted to ride her bike. So at 2.10 p.m., she set off for Mark's house, promising to be back soon. Dana rode the six or so miles, or about nine kilometers, to Mark's house and made it there around 2.40 p.m. So after visiting with Mark for close to an hour and a half, she left his house around 4.30 p.m. Then, around 5 p.m., Dana had almost made it home and was only about 200 yards from the Ireland's rental house. But at 5.25 p.m. that evening, a local woman named Anna Sherrill called 911. She was driving along Kapoho Kai Road, which is a dirt road leading to the vacation home subdivision, and reached the intersection of Kapoho Kai and Ililani Roads when she saw what looked like a woman's left tennis shoe abandoned in the middle of the road and what she saw alongside the road was even more alarming a mangled black 18 speed bicycle lay on the side of kapoho kai road just across from the intersection of ililani road in addition to the bicycle anna observed a broken watch the other shoe which would be the right shoe and a sizable chunk of blonde hair which anna guessed was about a foot in length that is like a big big chunk of hair 
But the person the items belonged to was nowhere to be found. So obviously this is alarming to find a chunk of hair, a mangled bike, and shoes, and there's just nobody in sight. I mean, yeah, I can imagine that Anna's probably feeling like this is an abduction. Totally. So she, of course, called the police right away to report what she assumed could have been that, or even maybe just a, a really bad traffic accident. But shortly after that, at 5.36 p.m., again, this is Christmas Eve, Dana's father, John, called 911 to report his daughter missing, claiming that she had gone out for a bike ride and was supposed to be home about 40 minutes prior to his phone call and that they were worried that something had happened to her. Now, around that same time, Sandy and her boyfriend had just finished up wrapping their Christmas presents and they were walking the short distance from their home to the vacation home that they were staying in. Down the road, they noticed a commotion and what looked like the wreckage from an accident. Now, they immediately recognized that the bike was Dana's, so Sandy and Jim rushed to the scene to speak with police and just begin the search for her sister. And according to the family friend who was also in attendance that evening, Christmas turned into, quote, a horror that none of us knew was right next to us. So after a frantic search of the area ensued, turning up no sign of Dana, word came about an hour later that she had been located about five miles or eight kilometers away. A nearby resident had heard what sounded like weak cries for help and had gone to investigate, finding Dana severely injured and bleeding in a densely wooded area. Now, after being struck by the car, which police now believed was strategic and intentional, Dana had been abducted and moved to a remote location that made it extremely difficult for anyone to find her. Now, she was found in the dense brush along a lightly trafficked fishing trail in Wawa. Now, it's been said Vava or Wawa. I'm not sure which one, but we're going to go with Wawa. And this is right along the coast and close to the easternmost tip of the island. Now, bleeding extremely badly, Dana was rushed to the Hilo Hospital in Hilo, the largest community on the island, and about an hour north of where she had been found. She was admitted for emergency surgery immediately, but she had a broken pelvis and had lost an excessive amount of blood. At just 5 feet 4 inches tall and about 100 pounds, the blow from the car proved to be too much for her frame. And sadly, shortly after midnight, around 12.25 a.m., 23-year-old Dana Ireland succumbed to her injuries while still on the operating table. Her official cause of death was blood loss, and a family friend who had been visiting for the holiday told a local paper that the perpetrator, quote, took a perfect thing and totally destroyed it physically. Everything. She suffered, but she fought like hell to stay alive. What was supposed to be the perfect tropical Christmas for the Ireland family turned out to be a complete nightmare. Local police began their investigation by focusing first on the car that had struck her and studying the type of tire tracks and the direction in which they hit her. Now, the car, which they believed to be a pickup truck, had approached Dana head on as she was biking east toward her family's rental home. Three witnesses near the crime scene at the time the collision occurred reported seeing a pickup truck in the area around the same time. And they were specifically looking for an older model blue pickup truck, by the way. 
The car had been seen on the opposite side of the road driving the opposite direction, but had slowed down upon spotting Dana and then veered to the right, given the sharp change in direction by the tires, and struck her alongside the road. So this seemed like like somebody very much did this on yeah, purpose. Yeah, it was intentional, for sure. Yeah, like usually you would think they would have veered in the opposite direction to not hit her, but they did not do that. So... As Dana was incapacitated, her attacker left her belongings there and quickly threw her into the car before driving off with her. Within hours of Dana's death, the lead detective on the case attempted to locate the vehicle, stopping every pickup truck he and his fellow officer saw and visiting households that he knew owned one. They were specifically looking for one that had sustained cosmetic damage from the collision, of course, likely to the front right side of the hood. So this would make it hopefully a little bit easier to to spot which truck had, you know, had hit Dana. And remember, in this area, again, there's only about 120,000 people. Yeah, so we were in, obviously that's a lot of people and maybe a lot of them have pickup trucks because of the ruralness, but... But it's also not massive. Yeah, like, it, you know, we, we're, in, we're on an island here. So one man, Frank Nassario, lived in a nearby neighborhood and he was known to drive a pickup truck. He was believed to have two accomplices if he was guilty, although their names were not announced. But for reasons unknown to the public, Frank was released from suspicion early on in the investigation. So they either didn't have enough to uh, believe that he was the killer or, you know, he just had a really good alibi or something. Now, in the shocking aftermath of Dana's murder, the community rallied around the Irelands, and nearby residents held a meeting to discuss further safety and security measures that they could be taking. And while the investigation was underway, Sandy and her parents flew back to Virginia with Dana's ashes, and that's where they laid her to rest. And uh, back in Hawaii, a memorial was held in Puna as well. So they, they did a celebration for her there, but then they wanted her buried in her, her home state. So Sandy pleaded with the island to come forward with any information, just feeling like somebody must know something, right? And she said that she wanted her sister's attacker, quote, taken out of the community, not killed or anything like that, just so others won't be hurt which is a very thoughtful thing to say even. And one reporter penned, quote, evil things aren't supposed to happen in Hawaii. It's paradise, you know? In the days following the shocking murder, fingers were pointed and blame was assigned when it was reported that medical staff and police were slow to the scene of Dana's discovery. Especially knowing that she died of blood loss, you know, that's right. a, a timing issue. Time sensitive. So it took 41 minutes between when she was reported to be bleeding out in the brush along the Wawa fishing trail and about an hour until they had actually reached the hospital and Dana was able to receive medical attention. So almost two hours. Yeah. So by the time the ambulance had gotten her to the hospital, it was 7.56 p.m. So this actually made it almost three hours between when she was struck by the vehicle and when attention was able to be administered. And doctors said, sadly, that she likely would have lived if so much time hadn't lapsed. However, the responding emergency medical technicians argued that the remote location was extremely difficult to reach in an ambulance. So the scene where Dana was found was as much of a mystery as the scene where she was struck by the vehicle. In the brush that she was rescued from, Investigators found a blue Jimmy Z brand t-shirt, which they believe the killer may have been wearing. 
drenched in Dana's blood, along with a men's black tennis shoe. And the autopsy revealed even more horrifying details about this entire ordeal. Dana had been sexually assaulted before her death. In addition to the shoe and the t-shirt, her attacker left his DNA on her body and at the scene where she was found, and a bite mark was found on her left breast. It wasn't until an employee at the hospital noticed remnants of her murderer's DNA on the sheets of her hospital gurney that they knew what she had suffered before her fate was finally decided for her. In addition to the DNA pulled from the t-shirt, the crime scenes, and the bed sheets, vaginal swabs were taken, ensuring they had enough to match with her attacker if he were in the National CODIS database. So it appeared that this whole thing was not some, you know, accident, oops, I struck her with my truck. I mean, obviously we know that from the tire tracks, right? but now we know that she was sexually assaulted and that is probably the motivation for it. Right, and you know, this helps also rule out, uh, like you're saying, if this had been an accident and then they just tried to cover it up so that they wouldn't go down for it. Like this is like somebody purposefully hit her and then they sexually assaulted her. Like this was, this was very purposeful. Right. For lack of a better word. So I'm just going to repeat that one. I also want to mention CODIS did start in 1990. It started as like a project and obviously it got better over the years. But in 1991, it was still not really something that was being heavily used. Yeah. And so it, this is not super reliable right now anyway. And of course, her killer was not in CODIS. So they also examined the bite mark and they were able to have an idea of what the teeth and jaw alignment of her murderer would have been. But even with all this, they had no suspects following Dana's sudden death. They received hundreds of leads, but none of them led to Dana's killer. Even though the search was confined to an island with just over 100,000 people at the time, it would be two and a half years before investigators saw any movement in the case. And then, seemingly out of nowhere, they received a confession. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment, no maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volix XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, 
Your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medications that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, just visit Juvederm.com. We know you guys love a good mystery, especially one with twists and turns. Am I right? This is why you guys are going to love June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker while she tries to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder in the roaring 1920s. In this hidden object mystery game, put your detective skills to the test. While you're on this quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret, you can customize your very own luxurious estate island and let your imagination run wild. Daphne and I actually love to play this game together because you can chat with and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. It is truly so much fun. You guys are going to love it. So what do you think? Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. With how busy our schedules are, Heath and I are constantly ordering food and groceries from DoorDash. It just saves us a ton of time when we can't run to the store for ingredients or don't feel like cooking and want delicious takeout instead. But delivery fees can definitely add up, and this is why we have Dash Pass by DoorDash. DashPass is an exclusive membership from DoorDash that gets you unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, as well as member-only deals and discounts. Which is why DashPass is the most affordable way to get anything and everything you need delivered right to your door, and fast, for just $9.99 a month. Which means DoorDash quickly pays for itself in just two orders on average. So whether you order every day or just a couple of times a month, You'll save with Dash Pass. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for Dash Pass today only on DoorDash and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. I know all of you guys love listening to thrilling stories, so why not check out some thriller audiobooks on Audible? That is all I've been doing lately when I'm cooking, cleaning, or driving. Because Audible includes an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre. And they have thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, like ours, that you guys can listen to. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. And on top of that, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. With Audible, the time is now more than ever to embrace the breathtaking, sinister, and shocking tales that have enthralled you, 
especially with brand new exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. And I am very much gripped in the audiobook that I'm listening to now on Audible of The Drowning Woman. It is so good. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash going west or text going west to 500-500. That's audible.com slash going west or text going west to 500-500. So before that quick break, we were talking about how there was no movement in the case for about two and a half years, and then finally, someone made a confession. So on June 20th, 1993, two and a half years after Dana's murder, there was a major breakthrough. A man seemingly unconnected to the crime who was serving jail time for an unrelated drug offense confessed to the abduction, sexual assault, and murder of Dana Ireland. Frank Pauline Jr. was a Hawaiian man who had been in and out of the prison system on drug charges in the years leading up to and following Dana's death. He also implicated two of his friends, brothers Albert Ian Schweitzer and Sean Schweitzer, claiming that they were with him in the car that day, assisting in the abduction and disposal of Dana Ireland. So on the day of the crime, Frank recalled driving around with Albert and Sean in his 1957 Volkswagen Bug and spotted Dana riding her bike home. He claimed that he acted on impulse and struck her and then had the brothers help in getting her into the car and to the second location where she was assaulted and left with grave injuries. Because the self-proclaimed killer was already behind bars, the investigation was really slow moving. And this is, of course, interesting because he's saying that this happened in his very, or his, you know, almost 40-year-old bug and not a pickup truck. Yeah, so everybody was a, looking for a pickup truck, but it happened to be a bug. I mean, those who know what a Volkswagen bug looks like, that is like very different from a pickup truck, like extremely different cars. Yeah, but also like if, I, if you were driving around with your friends and one of your friends just randomly struck a person like on purpose why would you go through with helping them sexually assault and dispose of a woman's body i mean we've seen this in other cases before but also just knowing that frank himself was in and out of prison like maybe his buddies were too maybe they just weren't yeah they just maybe they the were just all, all three of them were just pieces of shit i mean it feels like if you do partake in something like that you are a piece of shit so you and i wouldn't do that but these guys are obviously not good guys if what this man is saying is true. So in July of 1994, investigators sought the help of a forensic odontologist who is a specially trained dentist tasked with identifying remains using dental records or matching the teeth marks on victims with their criminals. You know, and they needed this to match the bite marks left on Dana's breast with one of these three men to see if this dude, Frank, is telling the truth. But strangely, there was no match to any of them. And then in January of 1996, Frank recanted his confession, claiming that he had lied to get out of the Oahu prison that he had been in on drug charges, saying that his life was being threatened by fellow inmates. Frank also claimed that he was simply attempting to help his brother, John Gonzalez, who was about to stand trial for drug charges. He hoped that by sharing valuable information with police that may help solve a cold case, he could obtain a lighter sentence for his brother. 
And he remembers John, the brother, masterminding the plan, telling Frank to watch the news and keep an eye out for any updates pertaining to the Dana Ireland investigation in order to glean more information about it. Yeah, so that they could come up with, you know, a more believable lie here. Totally. In September of 1998, investigators finally tested the vaginal swabs that they took from Dana after her assault against samples from the three men, and none of them matched the profile. So that obviously says a lot too. They don't, the teeth marks don't match and the DNA doesn't match. Right. So the next month, which was October of 1998, the charges against the brothers were dropped for lack of evidence, which meant that the only evidence connecting any of the men to the crime was Frank's confession. Based on this, it would be extremely difficult to convict any of the men of the murder of Dana Ireland. But police and Hawaii state prosecutors had a new plan to propose that a fourth person was involved, which would account for the stray bite mark and the DNA that was found at the scene. So yeah, it seems like they're they're really trying to figure out how it could be Frank and his buddies and how to make this theory work. And just meaning that somebody else had to be there too. But are they reaching or is this factual? Let's right. find out. So the court documents stated, quote, Police and prosecution have consistently believed a fourth person may have been present and participated. So with this anonymous fourth perpetrator as a scapegoat, the state proceeded with the separate trials against Frank, Albert, and Sean. Now on August 27th, 1999, Frank Pauline Jr. was convicted of the abduction, rape, and second degree murder of Dana Ireland, and he was sentenced to 180 years in prison. Because of the lack of evidence and the complete absence of direct evidence, such as DNA, prosecutors relied on character witnesses to testify against him. Now, one man, Shane Kobayashi, had been in prison for sexual assault and received a sentence reduction of 10 years down to three years in exchange for testifying against Frank Pauline Jr. The prosecution also claimed that Frank's Volkswagen Bug had been repainted around the same time as Dana's death and that the blue shirt found at the scene drenched in Dana's blood was believed to belong to Frank. On February 5th, 2000, so this is almost 10 years after Dana's murder, Albert Schweitzer was convicted as well, and he was sentenced to 130 years in prison for his apparent involvement in the crime. In his trial, the prosecution relied on the testimony of a key witness, a fellow inmate and felon, Michael Ortiz, who took the stand claiming that Albert himself had told him in prison that the men had accidentally run down Dana with their car and took advantage of the vulnerable position that she was in to assault her and leave her for dead. And finally, in the case of Sean Schweitzer, on April 17th, 2000, a plea deal was reached when Sean agreed to plead guilty to manslaughter in exchange for five years probation. Although he passed a polygraph test regarding the incident, the judge upheld the sentencing, and on May 9th, 2000, he confessed to watching Frank and Albert murder Dana. He did not mention the involvement of a fourth person and actually blamed Frank in particular for the kidnapping and sexual assault. And in the case of the DNA sample, the prosecutor just claimed that the DNA sample had given a false reading because it was too small and that he still believed it to be Frank's DNA. 
But what's so interesting here is that there was still no match for the bite mark. Yeah. So it's like, you know, obviously they did t take the DNA almost 10 years earlier when maybe they wouldn't have been able to take more because the advancement of technology, you know what I mean? Like there was such better DNA testing in the late 90s than there was in 1991. So maybe that it kind of uh, messed things up a little bit. Could have been, yeah. But... Or, or they're just reaching and saying, well, we still think it's his, even though there wasn't a match. Right. You know what I mean? So it's, it could be one of those situations as well. Yeah. And strangely, for such a small area, we actually covered another case that happened just around the corner from Capoho in the Nanavale Estates neighborhood, which was episode 231, which covered the disappearance and probable murder of Sequoia Vargas. Now, Sequoia was also a young woman who was assaulted, abducted, and likely killed, although her body was never found. Sequoia disappeared in 1993, less than two years after Dana was killed. And for such similar crimes in the same neighborhood and within a few years of each other, it's possible that these two crimes could be connected. Another possible connection is a similar crime that happened on the same Christmas Eve that Dana was attacked and abducted. 23-year-old Charles Edendencia had met a young woman at a local cocktail bar for drinks before abducting her, assaulting her, and beating her with a tire iron. The woman, who remained anonymous, later sobbed, quote, He hit me so many times. Although she did survive the ordeal, she was knocked out by the repeated blows and required stitches on her head in addition to other bodily injuries. Now, it's possible there is no connection, but the timing is extremely odd. The article about Charles and the article about Dana were even printed side by side in the Honolulu Advertiser. And it was never confirmed by the news nor the police, but multiple articles cited, or cited that in addition to having been hit by a car, Dana may have been struck with a tire iron. So if that's true, that is incredibly bizarre. But again, it has not been confirmed. Years later in 2015, after the murder of Meredith Kircher and the false imprisonment of Amanda Knox, we have not covered that case, but I know so many of you know it well, um, a group of retired judges formed Judges for Justice, which is an organization with the goal of freeing wrongfully convicted prisoners. Now, they took on the task of researching and documenting the tedious details of Dana Ireland's case in a 14-part docuseries on YouTube, going into just alternate theories not explored by law enforcement, who seemed hell-bent on convicting the only three men on their radar, which is like I said earlier, it seems like they were just trying to make this puzzle piece fit, saying, oh, well, this was not confirmed DNA, but we still think it's, it's Frank's. And, oh, well, since none of this is matching, somebody else had to have been at the scene instead of just thinking maybe none of them really did this. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of strange that they are just, like, really pinpointing these guys and saying, like, oh, yeah, it was these guys plus, like, this random other fourth person. When it's like, okay, maybe it wasn't those guys, and maybe, you know, it was someone else entirely. Yeah, and that's the problem we see in so many cases is sometimes police get really fixated on a certain person or certain people, and they try to make the crime fit their narrative instead of the other way around. Well, I think Frank kind of helped with that, you know, obviously admitting to the crime. Yeah, I mean, that always makes things difficult if he falsely confessed because... We do see that a lot, especially with people who are already in prison and they're just trying to get different privileges by by confessing. So that's always really shitty when that happens. So I obviously understand why they would look into Frank because 
he confessed. Yeah, and it just really muddied the waters here. But still, obviously, because there was such a lack of evidence, judges for justice actually sought to exonerate Frank Pauline Jr., Albert Schweitzer, and Sean Schweitzer altogether. And they also posed the theory that Dana's killer may have known her and been eyeing her or even stalking her since she had moved to Hawaii. And maybe they just simply took advantage of the opportunity that was presented when she was alone on her bike. And unfortunately, I mean, we may never know exactly what happened and whether Frank, Albert, and Sean were involved or not. But that same year as the formation of Judges for Justice came to be in 2015, 42-year-old Frank Pauline Jr. was murdered in prison. Shortly after he was convicted of Dana's murder, Frank was transferred to a prison in New Mexico as part of this like prisoner redistribution program because prisons in Hawaii are limited in space and resources and it's more expensive on average to house, which makes sense. So he was originally transferred to Arizona at first and then eventually settled in New Mexico. And shortly before his death, he actually lodged a complaint that he felt unsafe and was being threatened by one of the prison officials, claiming they told Frank that he was going to a place where he, quote, won't get out alive. Then, on April 27th, 2015, Frank was doing laps in the outdoor recreation yard when he was struck from behind by a fellow inmate with a rock covered in a green shirt and died after three blows to the head. Now, inmate Daniel Hood claimed he murdered Frank because he, quote, thought Pauline was a snitch and he walked around like he owned the place. However, some think that the timing and the murder were not a random act of violence. Because strangely, on April 26th, the day prior to Frank's murder, the Hawaii Tribune Herald published a story about the Hawaii Innocence Project, who's taken on the case of attempting to exonerate the three men convicted of Dana Ireland's murder. And the very next day, Frank was dead. But Frank's brother, John, does not believe that this was happenstance. And John told a news outlet later, quote, It doesn't add up. It's just too coincidental how that came out to the public, and then he gets murdered like that. And the man who murdered Frank, Daniel, was charged with first-degree murder, as well as possession of a weapon by a prisoner. Albert Schweitzer is still in the midst of serving his 130-year sentence, but he is actively seeking exoneration with the help of the Hawaii Innocence Project. Ken Lawson, the co-director, actually worries about the harm that Judges for Justice will do to the investigation and the possible release of his client, saying, quote, This really bothers me because you have an organization like Judges for Justice who proclaims that he is for actual innocence and who claims that he protests and despises prosecutors and police who falsely accuse people of crimes they didn't commit. And here he is doing the exact same thing with absolutely no evidence. And the more information you give the real perpetrator, the more likely it is that he or she may be able to flee the island or try to come up with the reason why their DNA is uncertain evidence. So we don't want the public to know what evidence is being tested. In August of this year, a judge, so this year is 2022, for those who are not listening right away, um, a judge in Hawaii ruled to unseal sensitive documents about the case in the defendant's lawyer's attempts to exonerate the men. The prosecutor handling the case responded with, quote, 
Since his, Albert Schweitzer's, conviction, legal teams have raised concerns and sought post-conviction relief. These matters are still pending disposition. We have cooperated with the Hawaii Innocence Project throughout their investigation and continue to share information. I think the most important thing here is that they find the truth. I mean, I get it. I, I don't know these men personally, so I can't speak to their character. But again, it really muddies things up when there's a false confession because right now they need to find the real killer no matter what, like through DNA. Well, luckily they do have DNA and it's just crazy that there has not been a match made. But just like I had said, maybe this is somebody who did know her and who took this opportunity and they don't have a criminal record because we see that a lot too, where not everybody who commits crimes has committed a crime before, even if it's something like murder. So it really does seem to me like this was intentional, even though these guys are saying, and Frank is saying that they hit her by accident and they use it as an opportunity, but it feels like somebody really did purposefully hit her to me just based on the tire track evidence. So it's so difficult because it seems like we're so close because of the DNA. We just need a match. So but you know what's you know what's really shitty though is that if the Schweitzer brothers were not involved and Frank's just like the the only one implicating them and they, they were never involved. Like that sucks for these guys. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I mean, it's yeah. just like, oh, Frank's like, oh yeah, my, my friends were involved too. And, and they're, they're like, what are you talking they're about? They're like, wait, what? Like, yeah. It's just like you said, I mean, false confessions make things so much more difficult, which is what feels like happened here. And I just hope that they are able to get maybe they can do genealogical testing and get a match that way because a match would really help solidify what the truth is. But back to Dana. So in the wake of her death, as many families do, the Irelands enacted a scholarship, the Dana Ireland Memorial Scholarship Fund at their beloved daughter's alma mater, George Mason University. Dana's father, John, passed away in 2000 and her mother, Mary Louise, followed in 2016, living to be 92 years old. The three share a family plot in Virginia, and John became a victim's right advocate after Dana's death and worked with legislators to lift the statute of limitations on violent crimes. A book about the crime called Murder in Paradise, written by Chris Luce, followed in 2003. If you have any information about the abduction, assault, and murder of Dana Ireland, please call Hawaii State Crime Stoppers at 808-961-8300 or write to the Hawaii Innocence Project at contacthip at hawaiiinnocenceproject.org. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Going West. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And on Friday, we'll have an all-new case for you guys to dive into. We know it's the holidays. Happy Hanukkah. If you celebrate, happy almost Christmas. It's a it's a fun week. I hope you guys enjoy it with family or friends or whoever you're celebrating with if you're able to. And if you're not with anybody, then our hearts are with you. And we just appreciate you for listening. We love all you guys so much. We're actually almost at our four-year anniversary. I just remember that's in like... 10 days. Yeah, 10 days and four years of going west. So thank you guys so much. And please share this episode. I really just want this case to see justice. I really hope that DNA can help bring it to that place. 
And uh, yeah, again, thank you guys for listening and thank you for sharing. All right, guys. So for everybody out there in the world, don't be a stranger. Don't be a stranger.